Sometimes we think that learning to follow God's guidance is complicated. And maybe sometimes it is. But maybe it's also simpler. Jesus already taught us to love our neighbors, share our stuff, and live justly. Maybe God's thinking, I already gave you these instructions. When you're done with that, let me know and I'll trust you with something else. What if living our lives for Jesus is as simple and as profound as that? What if we let the Spirit, never lacking the power to fill us with love, pour out that love through us, even in ordinary, chaotic, and special circumstances? What if we were a people who became well-known for a radical, relentless, generous love in service to others? What if we, along with others, near to God's heart but living lives far from Him, began to ask God simply, what should we do? Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to those of you joining us in our traditional sanctuary right now. Some of you may recognize some of the faces in that video that we just saw together. If nothing else, you may recognize them because at least some of them were the growth group that we saw together in worship last week. And they were talking about their experience as a community together. And then we wanted to show, you, wanted to show them to you also in service, in action together, because that's what we're talking about today. We are going to be learning today about living lives of service to others, how love pours out through us how it is that God gives us a mission. To have a mission means to be sent, how we're sent, given a mission to love and serve others. That's what we're learning about today as we continue our According to Luke series. And speaking of our series, I wanna show you something. Uh, there is a brochure that's available. If you'd like to know more about this journey that we're on this year, it's called According to Luke. We're journeying through the life story of Jesus this year. We're trying to fill our hearts and minds and shape our imaginations with the story and the stories of Jesus so that we can learn how to think and live like Christians in the world. And if you wanna know more about the vision for that series and kind of where we're going, there's a brochure available out of the info desk. You can pick it up. It tells you kind of where we're gonna be going over the course of the year. And on the back, there's actually a little list. Do any of you like checking boxes off lists? I kind of do sometimes. This is a little list of some of the things that we're gonna be learning, some of the characters and stories, and it might help you keep track and remember some of the things we're gonna be learning together this year. And then, as a free bonus, Inside that brochure is a list of daily Bible readings, and some of you may find this helpful to keep up in your own daily Bible reading with what we're learning together on Sunday mornings and in our growth groups, uh, just a way to kind of enrich what we're learning together. This may help you with your Bible reading individually. And finally, uh, as part of this series and always, we read and learn from the Bible together on Sunday mornings. So if you have a Bible with you, you might want to get that out handy right now or open up your Bible app or your phone or tablet. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'd still love for you to use one. Our ushers are coming up the aisles right now. You can raise your hand at them. They'll give one to you. You can just put it on the shelf in the back of the room after the worship service today. I'll give you page numbers and all that stuff so it's real easy to find as we read along together in a few minutes. So I told you that we're talking today about having a, having a mission, being sent out in service to serve and to love other people, serve and love the world. When I think about getting a mission, being given a mission for something, my mind kind of runs back to an old TV show I used to watch. When I was a kid, like maybe middle school or so, after school, I'd go to my grandma's house, my Oma's house, and I'd watch reruns of old sitcoms, okay? And I don't know if you remember this, there was an old TV show, it was reruns already when I was a kid, and it was called Get Smart. Anybody ever watch that? 
They, they remade it into a movie like ten, almost 10 years ago or 10 years ago. Steve Carell was in that movie. And at the beginning of it, Maxwell Smart, Agent 86, I think he was called, uh, he would get a mission. It's sort of like Mission Impossible. He'd get an assignment and your mission, should you choose to accept it, blah, blah, blah. And this message will self-destruct in five seconds or 30 seconds, something like that. So I don't know what it did to me as a kid to watch old sitcoms when I was in middle school, but that happened to my brain. And I thought I would share one clip of that with you. To, so yeah, let's watch that clip together. Dr. Albert Hellman, America's most brilliant gerontologist, bacteriologist, and orthodontist, has been murdered. Dr. Hellman has just recently concluded 40 years' work on the theory of Hellmanivity. That theory is now believed to be in the possession of Chaos's top agent, the leader. Control has never been able to learn the identity of this cunning and ruthless agent. But we do know that he has plans to get the theory out of the country sometime tomorrow night. That doesn't give us much time. That doesn't give us much time. Should he succeed in delivering Dr. Hellman's theory to chaos headquarters in Europe, the human race will be faced with extinction through Hellmanitis. What is that? I don't have to tell you what that is. Your assignment is to discover the identity of the leader and recover the Hellman theory. Should you decide to accept this assignment, this department will disavow any knowledge of your actions. Should you decide not to accept it, you're fired. Goodbye. As usual, this tape will self-destruct in exactly five seconds. <laughs> It'd be nice to get that kind of clarity once in a while, wouldn't it? This is your job. Today, you must do this by the end of the day, this week, this, I don't know, lifetime. Here is your job. If you do this, you can call that a success. Have you ever been commissioned for something maybe in your life? I and mean, people have that experience sometimes in public service jobs. We do this oftentimes with people who work on staff here. There's a, a kind of a commissioning time. The truth is all of us in our church have a mission. We're being given a mission to love and serve. We're going to read some more about that together. It can be really clarifying. In fact, I've adopted a practice recently in this last season of my life. As part of my, I do my daily devotions mostly in the morning. My prayer time and scripture time is in the morning. And about once a week right now, on the back of an index card that I keep nearby, I uh, have some questions I go through once a week. And the first two questions on that list are, is my calling sure? And is my passion hot? Just a reminder, am I clear on my calling? Am I, do I know what that is? Do I have any doubts about that? Am I filled up about that? It's really helpful, I think, to know what your mission is. What am I being sent to do? And sometimes in life we wonder, it feels complicated. How do I get guidance from God in life? I don't know what to do in this or that situation. And sometimes it is complicated. There are situations in life that we face that require prayer and thought and conversation among Christian friends. There are situations where it can be a little complicated. A lot of times it's not actually that hard. <laughs> a lot of times it's a lot simpler than that. And I think it can be helpful to kind of lay that foundation. We can at least be clear about what's clear. And that's what I want to read about with you this morning in the story of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, according to Luke. So if you have a Bible that's handy right now, open that up with me. We're going to start in Luke chapter 3. It's on page 1503, if you're using these Quest Bibles. While you turn there, let me give you a little background. I'm going to catch you up on where we've been in the last few weeks. 
We began two weeks ago with the story of the angel Gabriel coming to Zechariah and Elizabeth and announced the birth of John the Baptist. He's going to be born. And then just a little bit after that, we read a story that wasn't, it wasn't too much later that this same angel Gabriel, you can see it on the timeline here, goes to Mary and Joseph and says, you're going to have a baby and his name is going to be Jesus. John is going to be the prophet and Jesus is going to be the king. And we learned about he's the king of a kingdom of people. And then we skipped over a couple stories. Actually, we skipped over the part where Jesus is born. Not very important. We blew right past that. Thank you for laughing. I appreciate that. We're going we're gonna to pick that story up again at Christmas, of course, so stick around. We'll do that at Christmas. We skipped over a little story of Jesus visiting the temple when he was like 12 years old or so. So this is Jesus as a preteen, you know, all the awkwardness that goes with that. Now, Jesus, that, Luke is the only gospel of Jesus' life that actually tells us that story about Jesus' life, but we skipped over that. And then in this story, like most of the stories of Jesus' life, actually, we fast forward. We don't know anything about what was happening in Jesus' life other than what we can infer from his youth until he was about 30 years old. And in today's passage, we're fast forwarding all the way to there, and we're going to read about the ministry of John the Baptist, John the Baptist's teaching, his preaching, and then he baptizes Jesus. And in the baptism of Jesus, we see kind of a commissioning. We see a, a commissioning of Jesus. But before we get to the end of that scene, we're going to start at the beginning of that scene. That's where we are in Luke 3, page 1503. We're going to start in verse 7. This content that we're about to read is where Jesus starts. It's not where he ends, but it's where he starts. So we're going to start here too. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? This was the first seeker-sensitive church ever. We, we were going to put that sign outside, but we didn't think it would help very much. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance means to just turn. It just very simply means turn your life from wherever you're going, turn to God. And do not begin to say to yourselves, eh, we have Abraham as our father. We're good. Lay back on our laurels. We're fine. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And the people ask an obvious and simple question. What should we do then? What should we do? And John gives them a very simple answer. Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. This is, this is not rocket science, right? Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and whoever has food should do the same. Now, this is where Jesus' ministry starts. I do want to just say again, it's not where he ends. There's actually more to following Jesus than just this, but not less. <laughs> One of the things that's more about following Jesus is exactly what John says about Jesus in some other verses. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He empowers you, changes your heart, creates a new you to live the way that we're supposed to live. But Jesus, following Jesus is more than this, but it's not less than this. So let's just start right here. When John says, when John answers the question, what should we do? And he said, basically, share your stuff. If anyone has two shirts, let him share with the one who has none and let him who has food do the same. Let me ask you to consider how that very simple instruction would translate into the circumstances of your life. What would that mean for what you've got and what relationships you've got, what you could share, what time you've got, what resources? What do you, I don't know all of your individual circumstances. What would that mean for you? As you think about that, I'm gonna share with you two stories of how this kind of intersected with my life in the last few weeks. One of them really just kind of spontaneously and one of them that required a little bit of wrestling. <clears throat> About a week and a half ago, this is the first one, a week and a half ago, we had some family friends who were coming through town. It's a family of mother, father, and seven kids. In fact, the husband and father in this group is the guy who is a tour guide for our groups when we go to Israel. He leads our groups when we're in Israel. 
and they're going to be in the U.S. for a little while, and all nine of them are in a mid-size uh, RV that they're driving around the country for three or four months, nine of them. I, I'm kind of interested in seeing the before and after picture on what that looks like when they come piling out of the RV again. I'm actually more interested in the before picture. The after might not be pretty. But they're driving around in this RV, and they pull up to our house last Wednesday, spent some time with us, spent the night uh, at our place, and then in the morning, they're driving away again. But when they got out of the RV when they arrived, out with the seven kids came this one playground ball they're bringing around. There's not a lot of room like, left over in this RV, but this ball was a playground ball they were all using for their recreation. We have a basketball hoop they started shooting right away, and it's not a big, heavy basketball that's too hard for the little kids to use, and it's not like a two-ounce beach ball that's no fun for the big kids are kind of right in the middle. Perfect, right? So they're driving away Thursday morning. The doors are shut. They pull away. They get like 20 feet down my cul-de-sac and the, and the RV stops and they come out because they can't find the playground ball, right? They can't find this ball. That's like their major recreation for the next three months in this RV. And one of the little boys is, oh, runs over by the garage. I've got like four soccer balls, five basketballs, a bunch of playground balls. I'm like, dude, just take the soccer ball. Here, go get back in the RV and, and go, because I gotta go to work. Just go. <laughs> no, so I give him this ball and a, and a playground ball too. And his parents won't take it. Like, no, no, we couldn't possibly take one of yours. Why not? Like, take this and go, right? So eventually I had to quote scripture at her to get her to get them to let me take the ball. I said, let the one who has two tunics, that's what the old translation said, let the one who has two tunics share with the one who has none. Now take this ball and you know be on your way. So that worked, right? And I don't, you know, why is it? Why is it that we won't let people serve us? Like, I need help sometimes. I forget stuff. I lose stuff. I whatever. I need stuff. We need to be able to serve one another to do these things as a community. I think we want to share and also be able to receive. It's true for all of us. It's a circle, right? A circle. But there's another one that required some wrestling. So when I sat down to plan the details of this message and, the, and write the growth, the growth group discussion guide that's in your uh, bulletin this morning. I was studying this passage and trying to prepare for us all to learn from it. And as much as I wanted to hide from the very direct instructions in this passage, it became increasingly difficult the longer I looked at it. And it used, the older translations used to say, let the one who has two tunics share with the one who has none. I've never had a tunic, so I didn't have to apply that to my life, right? That was, that was easy. I hear tunics are popular again now with some, is that true? I don't have any. Okay, so, but I have shirts, right? And that's actually a very good translation. Let the one who has two shirts share with the one who have none. Okay, so I'm trying to figure out how does it apply to my life. So I walked into my closet, right? And I looked back and I, my shirts are hanging on a rack right here. And if I, if I remember correctly, right on the left-hand side, there were 13 polo shirts, and then there were seven, I think, button front short sleeve shirts. And then there were about seven or eight long sleeve flannel shirts. Then there were 20 long sleeve dress shirts, like the one that I'm wearing right now. And then I think the next thing over here was about eight or nine long sleeve pullovers. Okay, I don't know whether exactly the right way to obey this verse. Let the one who has two share with the one who has none. So I figured you go from two to one. Now you've got one and somebody else has one. I don't know if I was supposed to go from all that down to just one or go from all that to half because two to one could imply either way, right? I decided to go with half, right? Just baby steps. I'll go start there. So I took half out of each category and I've, I've laid them out right now. They're still in my house, but I kind of set them aside and I'm going to share them pretty soon with a ministry that I know about that a friend of mine who's has some real challenges in life and often has not his basic needs met. And he's gone there before to kind of shop for free clothes or for very low cost stuff. And I thought maybe this is a simple way that I can try to take a step. Now, I got to clarify for you, this, like the soccer ball, is not a heroic act of generosity. I still have enough clothes to not wear the same thing like more than once a month or something like that, right? So this is not huge. And I don't know if it's the one that applies to the circumstances of your life. And frankly, in my life, honestly, I'm kind of a minimalist. I don't like clutter anyway. So in some ways, this was like a self-serving endeavor. 
So I tried to pray about it and have the right heart about this, that it really was about sharing and not just about clearing. And I tried to make sure I gave away some stuff that like, I would actually be useful, that's actually I still wear, it's not just the things I wanted to get rid of anyway, so that I could prioritize like, sharing with someone else. I don't know exactly the right way to apply this to our lives, but something simple like that has to be able to work, right? And that's kind of what got me thinking about how sometimes we're, we're praying and we're wondering, like, God, what do you want me to do in this circumstance? What's your guidance for my life? What should I do? And I almost wonder, I, I don't know, I, I can't say for sure, but I almost wonder if sometimes our Heavenly Father isn't thinking what I would think with my own children. I'll tell you what, I gave you this instruction already. When you do that, <laughs> then I'll trust you with something else. I want you to think about how that applies in your life. I don't know all the circumstances of your life, but consider how that might work in your life. And then the next thing that happens in this story is some more people come to John. This is uh, Luke chapter 3. Uh, it's on page 1504 in your Quest Bibles. Turn a page if you need to. And verses 12 through 14. It says some tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to. He told them, Okay. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. That's not hard, right? That's pretty simple, right? You don't need a PhD in ethics to figure out some of these instructions. Now, what is a little bit challenging, though, more for me than for you, is I'd like you to consider what that message means to someone in your profession, right? You're probably not a first century Galilean tax collector, nor are you a Roman soldier, right? But you might be a banker, you might be a salesperson, you might manage a division, you might be a teacher, you might work in manufacturing, you might fix stuff. I don't know what you do. You do a hundred different things. What do you think this simple message means in your line of work? There's a, a missionary and a great missiologist from the 20th century. His name's Leslie Newbegin. He served as a missionary in India for most of his adult life, and he returned to his home country, the United Kingdom. He returned to Great Britain, and he wrote some really important reflections on how Christian mission works in the world. It was sort of like coming back to a place that he saw with fresh eyes because he didn't live there for a long time, and he had a lot of great insights. And he said, he recommended for churches, he said, you know, I think that churches probably ought to have smaller groups of people, no pastors allowed, he said, which I thought was a little bit mean of him, but he said, you should have smaller groups of people, no pastors allowed, because they don't know how to answer these questions. People who work in various professions, whether they're paid professions or homemakers or volunteers or whatever, and they should talk together about what it means to follow Jesus and the specific details of their workplace. And your pastors don't work in those vocations, so they got to talk to each other in their circles. Now, here in our context, we call those growth groups, right? places where we can get together, and not everybody in one group is all the same profession, but I think we could say, this is what it's like, what I do with my days, again, whether it's paid work or not, and these are the challenges I face, this is what it's like, these are the kind of opportunities I see, what do you think? And someone says, this is what it is like in my profession. A lot of things will overlap, not everything, but I think by sharing with one another, we can, we can help encourage one another, there's that one another again, we can encourage one another in the way of Christ together. John gives that answer to people in some professions. And then let's get to the end of the scene here. The gospel, according to Luke, tells us the shortest story of Jesus' baptism of any of the stories of Jesus' life. In Luke 3, 21 through 22, we kind of get to the end of this scene. It's, again, it's on page 1504 in your Quest Bibles. Luke 3, 21 through 22. When all the people were being baptized, big crowds came out to say, yeah, I'm going to turn my life back to God. Jesus was baptized too in solidarity with the people. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And then from that point forward, 
Jesus gets sent out in mission and ministry. The very next scene, we're going to read about it and learn from it next week, is the story of Jesus' temptation by the devil, his kind of spiritual battle, and then the beginning of his ministry and his teaching and healing comes after that. This is like a commissioning scene for Jesus. It's a scene that confirms Jesus' identity. The voice of God enters into the action and says, this is my son, you are my son, with whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And then he gets sent out into action. Let me just stop for a second and kind of review the logic. It's the logic of this passage, and it's the logic of the whole story of Jesus' life according to Luke that we've been learning so far. We started two weeks ago, and we said, God moved, right? God moved, now it's our move. God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Zechariah and Elizabeth. He said, I'm sending the Savior, I'm turning history, I'm working in your lives. God moved and announced the birth of John the Baptist, that he was going to be born. And then the next scene that we read, the same angel, God sends a messenger named Gabriel to Mary and Joseph to say, you're going to have a baby. His name's going to be Jesus. John's going to be the prophet of Jesus. Jesus is going to be the king. We learned how God moved to create a people for himself. And now here in these stories that we're reading, we're seeing how John, God is moving again in John. He's sending the message, right? And then sends Jesus into the world too. And maybe you remember one, one great line that kind of summed up John's own particular vocation, his own particular calling, which was this, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And that didn't mean the people would finally get ready enough that the Lord would do something. They would finally be prepared enough that God would act to save them. The only reason he had that job was because God had already decided that he was going to come and save his people and save the world and gather people for himself. And John's job was to let people know about it so they could respond. I'm reviewing this because this passage we're reading is full of challenge. It's full of appropriate challenge, but we'll only respond right to this challenge if we understand it correctly. This is not a challenge for us to become the people of God. I don't know how you'd even do that in the first place. This is not a challenge for us to become the people of God. This is a challenge for us because God in his grace has already called us together and made us the people of God in Christ together. And here we read the scene of Jesus' baptism and, and Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the Lord, kind of represents all his people, everyone who's in him. What is true of him becomes true of us. What God speaks to him, God speaks to all of us who are in him. And so God says to Jesus and says to all of the family of Jesus, you are my child, you are my children, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And he confirms our identity, says who we are together, fills us with his Holy Spirit, and sends us out in mission to live for others, to live in service to others, and to pour out the love that God has first poured out to us. And how will each of us do that? How does that apply to your life? You know, on the one hand, it applies to all of our lives in a lot of different ways. All the places that you are, you are live for others, love pours out kind of people. You're being sent out into your workplace, into your homes or families, into your neighborhoods, into the sports teams that you or your kids are on, wherever it is that you go. You are being sent there as a follower of Jesus, as a live for others, love pours out kind of person. And let me just ask you a, a challenging question. The people who are in those environments with you, do you think that they think of you as a live for others, love pours out kind of person? I mean, maybe they do in some circumstances. Maybe some of you are thinking, oh, I'm not sure that they really do. I'll fess up. I'm really wondering whether the staff that I work among thinks of me as a live for others, love pours out kind of person. And I'm challenged to do something about that. And maybe in your circumstances, you want to think about the relationships you're in, the decisions you make, the way that you enter into that environment to live as a live for others, love pours out kind of person. On the one hand, we do it everywhere that we go. On the other hand, we've been learning to think of ourselves 
not only as the persons of God, right, but also as the people of God, as, as God has made us a community. And as a community, we've made some real specific commitments to how are we going to be live for others, love pours out kind of people as a people. I want to put a slide up here that just real quickly represents some of the commitments that we have in service together. We showed this at the Next Step Lunch last week. So some of you at the Next Step Lunch, you saw this already. Up in the upper left-hand corner, we have a relationship with an organization in Haiti, and we have a long-term partnership with a village called Susmatla because we want to be live for others, love pours out kind of people in an international context, not just right here. Up in the upper right-hand corner, it says HOME, H-O-M, stands for Operation HOME, Homeless Outreach Ministry. We partner with agencies right here in Ramsey County that serve homeless families. In the bottom right, it says HOOD, Neighborhood. We have Operation Neighborhood. We want to try to be live for others, love pours out kind of people right here in the neighborhood of where our scattered church gathers for worship. Make a difference right here. And then in the bottom left-hand corner, it says HERE. And that's the way that we are live for others, love pours out kind of people for one another right here, the way that we serve in ministries that happen right here inside our building and we build one another up that way. If you want to take next steps in service, there are opportunities to do that nearly all the time. In your worship bulletin, on our website, in our announcements, we're always holding up the next opportunity for us to live out this environment together. These first three weeks of our series, these first three weeks of the According to Luke series, have been a unit. They kind of belong together. In the, in the first week, we learned about how starting in the temple, in the place of worship of God's people, we learned about how God makes us a worshiping people, how we live and worship in relationship to God. We learned about the value of worship together on Sunday mornings and being worshipers of God everywhere that we go. In the second week, we learned about how God came to make a kingdom for his king, to gather together a people, that, that we are not just persons, but the people of God. We talked about the way that our life works in groups together, in growth groups, and in community with one another. And now this week, we're talking about how it is that God makes his people to be a serving people, right? Worship groups and service. Those are our strategies as a church, and we didn't just make those up. We kind of got them from the Bible, right? And so this is the way, this is the way that we start together. This is the shape of life that Jesus invites us to, the shape of a relational shape of life in worshiping relationship with God, in a community relationship with one another, and in a loving and serving relationship with the world and, and with one another. This is the basic shape of, of life that Jesus gives us, offers us, and then teaches us and leads us to, to live together. And here, as we kind of make this transition from the, the launch of the series into the, into the rest of our journey together this year, I want to invite you, in case maybe this is a turning moment for you, to say, yeah, I do want that life. I do want to receive that. I want to know who I am and hear the voice of God to me. You are my child whom I love and be sent out in mission together. I want to participate in the life of the community to share life in Christ together. And for some of you, maybe that's like a new thing for you. I acknowledged last week, too, as we talked about making a commitment to God, that some of us are just new to faith, new to church, new to Christian community. And maybe you're still trying to decide what you think about all that or are still, as I said last week, kicking the tires on this whole discipleship to Jesus thing. And that's okay. That's a step along the journey, too. But maybe in that journey, maybe now as you make this transition is a day where you want to say, I'm ready to take that first step. I'm ready to enter into that journey. And so I do want to know who I am in Christ and learn to live, sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his teaching receive and live the life that he offers us. And if that's you, today can be your day to say that yes. And maybe you haven't ever even been baptized as a Christian, as we read about Jesus' baptism today. And if you haven't been baptized as a follower of Jesus, but you want to enter that life with him, your first step may very well be to be baptized as a Christian. And if you'd like to be baptized, I want to invite you to do that. You can talk to one of our staff or pastors after the service, or just stop by the orange wall and you can ask about that. And one of our pastors would love to discuss that with you, how it is that you can hear that sure identity 
You are my child whom I love. With you I am well pleased and be sent out into this crazy mission together with our church family. And maybe for you this is not a first step at all, but you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, but this is an opportunity to say, yeah, I, I want to fill my heart and fill my mind and my imagination with the life story of Jesus and the power of his spirit and be called forth and given and then led in, the, in life in his name and life in his way. All these things are the work of God in us. And so I want to close this time of reflection on God's word and prayer together. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace that you came into the world not because we were ready. Man, maybe especially because we weren't ready and we need you badly. And thank you for your grace and your move and your initiative. And, and we pray that by your Holy Spirit and by your word, you would speak to our hearts and call us to you. Lord, we want the life that you give us. We want to know you and bring honor to you. We want to be put together in community like you made us. And we want to live lives that have a mission. We want to live lives that are lives of service to others where love, where your love, which is poured out to us, pours out for others. So, Lord Jesus, we say lead on. Speak to us and lead on. We follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.